friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. Happy Monday. Hope you guys are having a great week so far. We have a great show for you today. I'm really excited about it. First of all, the music in the background from our buddy, Mr. Dave Barnes. Make sure you grab his album. It is so, so great. Today on the show is one of my very dearest friends from Indiana. I love her. I met her through our mutual friend, Emily P. Freeman, who I know many of you guys know and love. Emily's podcast is one I literally do not miss. And so make sure you're listening to her as well and grabbing her books. But Shannon Martin is the author of the new book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places. And if you know Shannon and follow Shannon, then you probably see what I see in her too, that she is really good at loving her neighbors and being honest about her experience and showing me what it looks like to take care of the people that are right beside me. And I'm really, really thankful for her. And she's hilarious. And she wears the same shirt all the time, which I think is just the best. It's from Fashionable. You know, we love Live Fashionable. So, and quick note, my friend Shannon had to switch microphones a few minutes into the recording. So that's why you hear it switch a little bit. But I think you're going to absolutely love the stuff she has to say about how we can love our neighbors. So today we're going to talk to her about this ministry of Ordinary Places and just her life. And you know how it goes. We're just going to go for it. So here is my conversation with my friend, Shannon Martin. Tell me what's happening today in Indiana. What are you guys up to? What's the weather like? You always have so much more fun weather than we do. Oh, stop it. You do. It's It's so like you get so many seasons. When I was up there last fall, it was the best. Well, you came in the sweet spot. Oh, okay. Today it's, um, you know, 90 degrees. It's blazing hot, but everybody wants it to be fall. So everybody wants it to be fall. I mean, most people do. So I'm already, you know, I've, I've, I've shifted mindsets into, I'm not wearing shorts. Like who wears shorts in September, like a maniac. I I can't fathom doing that. So yeah, I mean, you know, we're dressing like it's cooler than it is, but I, you know, in a couple of days it'll change again. Yeah. So the problem I keep seeing on the internet is everyone is starting to behave like it's fall, but here in Nashville, it is also still 90 degrees. Yeah. Right. Which doesn't really work exactly for like long sleeves. I had to get dressed twice today, Shannon. I walked out of my house and I was like, who told you it was 64 degrees? Because you are dressed like it's 64 degrees and it's 84 degrees at 8 a.m. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm with you. And the the problem that I have is that I am not, I don't love fall. Isn't that terrible to admit? It's fine because I live in northern Indiana where fall just means like it's beautiful for a week and then it's freezing cold for the next five months. Really? And so I I have a hard time appreciating fall for what it is because I don't like to be cold ever. I don't like a chill. I don't like a, a draft. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. I can I can appreciate the beauty of it, but I also don't like football. Why am I here right now? What's Tell me more. You don't like football? Have we made a terrible mistake? No, no. Our friendship <laughs> has survived way worse than this. Tell me why. You know, I went to a public school, but it was real tiny and we didn't have a football team. And so I just never got it. Yeah. Okay. And then I went, I went to a Christian school and they, and I'm, I don't have an athletic bone in my body. And so I just, I never caught the football thing. Okay. Um, so where a lot of people, you know, fall means, you know, sitting out in the chilly air and watching football. I don't like either one of those. Things, so. <laughs> does Corey, does your husband and do the kids love football? 
Corey played all four years in high school. Okay. But even he does not love it. Like he doesn't, he likes to have it on if he's around, but he doesn't follow it really closely. Yeah. However, um, and so none of our kids are especially athletic. That probably comes as a shock right now. But um, we, I, we have a neighbor who is really close to us and he's a freshman uh-huh. at the high school and he's playing this year. And so I'm like, okay, this is who I am now. Right. Like, I think I, now you're I want care. to learn the game. Yeah. I want to learn about it. I want to lose my mind over it. I mean, that changes everything. So talk yes. to me in a year. Yeah. it. Do, I mean, it really does change. That's, I mean, we, you know, a buddy of mine plays for the Atlanta Braves and I grew up cheering for the Braves, but I don't follow baseball, but you sure do when someone you love is on the field. Yes. It just absolutely. changes everything. Well, and I'm a really competitive person by nature, so I've always I felt didn't like know that. Are you? Oh dear! <gasps> I mean, Shannon. So I can sometimes even get like I'm always really aware of the fact that this is God's grace in my life that yeah. I'm not good at sports because, I mean, I think I I would be that person, you know. So maybe this is going to pull it out of me, but I'll try to channel it in the right in the right way. Right. <laughs> I love that though. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to, so this is the year you're really going to jump into football. I think so. It's going to be the fall of your dreams. It might be. It's possible. But none of your kids, your kids are all like super creative and super um, musical. They're artistic. So, you know, Calvin is super musical. That's it. Like he wants to be an orchestra teacher when he grows up. Like that's his whole thing. He will, like if he has, a few minutes before he has to leave for school, he will bust out the violin for those three minutes. (gasps) No, really? Yeah. Like that is fully his deal. And so Ruby plays the cello, but she's not even half that into it at this point. And then, so her and Silas just do a lot of really weird stuff. They're just like weird in the best way. They are weird in the best ways. They're such good kids. They tear stuff up and they build stuff and, yeah, Ruby's very mechanical. And so, yeah, she's like, she just joined the robotics club. They go to a, like a massive middle school. So she joined this robotics club. She's in sixth grade and she's the only girl on the robotics uh-huh. in the robotics clubs, which I think is just amazing. And I'm not mechanical like that at all. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's all a, it's a wonder. <laughs> it's a wonder they turned out. <laughs> It's just a wonder. Like just watching them is a wonder. Like you just don't know what's going to happen next. And it's worth mentioning that all of our kids were adopted. And yeah. so, you know, I'm I'm really interested. I studied psychology in college, and so I'm I'm interested in the nature versus nurture stuff. Uh-huh. And so I'm I'm always looking at my kids. Like they obviously wouldn't have gotten their lack of athleticism from me, but you know, you can see where you kind of inadvertently kind of nudge them into certain paths, I guess. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how did you adopt all of three of them as infants? Um, yeah. So Calvin was four months old and Ruby was newborn. Silas was 18 months old. And then Robert was 19 years old. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I forgot Robert. I forgot Robert. I didn't realize y'all had fully adopted him. Yeah. I mean, I knew you called him your son. I didn't realize that he was actually uh, your son. Oh, he's actually our son. He did not. At that point, you know, it it gets a little complicated because he had twin infants of his own when we adopted him. So he didn't change his name and, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, he's, we have, we have been his glad and stressed out parents now for about five years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. I mean, he, I love his story. Will you tell a little bit of his story? Cause I've really enjoyed getting to know him through your Instagram stuff. 
Yeah, sure. So just a, like a smidge of backstory. My husband and I both worked in federal politics. Like that was particularly Corey. That was his thing for about 10 years out of school. And so we lived in Washington, D.C. for a while. Um, we worked on Capitol Hill and we did that whole thing. And then we moved back to Indiana. Corey was promoted to a job in the district office for the congressman he worked for. And then like a few years later, um, his boss, the congressman, very abruptly resigned amid, you know, scandal and all those like news headlines sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, and so he transitioned at that point into just for a couple of years. He worked at an alternative high school. Oh, wow. As an administrator. So it was like, you know, for kids who don't learn well in traditional environments, high school kids. And he met Robert then. That's when Robert came into. Okay. So Robert was a student at the school? He was. Yeah. And so we were still living on the farm during that time. And he was really, I mean, he was in a lot of ways, our entry point into a lot of the things that, you know, came later on in life for us. Um, but he just, he just rocked our world and, you know, it was such a surprise. How old was and he when y'all, when y'all met him, like 14? He was 16. Okay. He was 16. Yeah. Okay. And by the time he was 19, y'all had adopted him. Well, yeah. So a lot happened in those three years. Yeah. So he ended up, you know, he would, he would come over for dinner and do those kinds of things. Um, he was always getting kicked out of the alternative school that he was in and, you know, they would let him back in, he'd get kicked out again. And then he just went dark for about seven months. Mm. And that was around the time that we were, um, you know, we had our farm on the market and we were, we were looking to move. Um, and so he resurfaced seven months later. I mean, we didn't see him anywhere. I was in, and I was like, my heart loved him like a mom at that point. And so, you know, we just worried about him and I'm trying to like message his other friends on Facebook. And, you know, Corey and I were having conversations at that point. Like, I mean, I remember saying to Corey, if he had died, we would know, right? Like, Mm. but you realize how, how fragile your connections kind of are. Yeah. Um, And so he reappeared to tell us that he had, you know, his girlfriend was pregnant. She was having twins and then the babies were born, we moved. And then a couple of months after the babies were born, he was arrested and was put in jail. And that was like, just traumatic for everybody. But I also remember thinking like, oh, but now I always know where you are. Like now you'll take my phone calls. And so we just went, we went all into like, you know, he's really, um, not a captive audience. That sounds kind of terrible, but he was, you know, we, we knew where to find him. And suddenly our communication really bloomed during that time. Uh And we, you know, we went to all of his hearings and that was when like he became fully our son and we became his parents. And then he was shipped off to prison. So he was in prison for a while. And then when he was released from prison, um, he was 20 years old. He was released to us with his cigarette behind his ear and his ankle monitor on. And he moved into his room in the basement. So that is incredible. How often did, were the kids over? Were the babies over a lot? When he lived here. So he's on his own now. But what, during the time that he lived here, they were here almost every weekend. And they yeah. were one. They were twin year old or twin one year old babies. Yeah. With a dad who was, you know, I mean, it was just a really um, tense and spirited time in our home. Cause the other three are there too. The other three are here. And we had a, we were fostering a (gasps) two-year-old. Oh my gosh. It was nutty. 
but it, it was just fascinating to try to navigate, you know, how do we parent this kid who is a man who has kids of his own, yeah. but he's never been parented before. Yeah. And he really craved, you know, he resisted being parented in some ways, but he also really craved it. And yeah. you know, then you're watching him parent, you know, these babies. And I mean, he had a lot to learn and it was just, a, it was a really, uh, you know, tumultuous time. It was really beautiful yeah. in a lot of ways, but it was hard. Man, that is crazy. And and like when you were, like when you were a kid, Shannon, is this what you thought your life would look like? I mean, did you imagine, like, were you one of the people who like, I want to adopt and, no. and I want to have my family be a rainbow colored family. No. And I want, you know, I had no concept. I mean, I grew up in, you know, I was raised in the church in a, you know, an evangelical church from birth, you know, that, and Corey was too. Um, but I grew up in a super tiny town, like a village. It's not even a town. It's a village. And I was out in the country. Um, I mean, everybody was white. Everybody was, you know, working class to middle class. I just, I didn't even have a frame of reference yeah. for adoption. I had one friend in high school who had been adopted, you know, so I didn't have negative feelings about it, but it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I didn't really long to be a mom like a lot of my friends did. Yeah when I was younger. And so, you know, but then at some point that kind of, when we were in DC, that kind of started to shift for me. And at that point, you know, we were handed the gift of infertility and that's not something that's just not trouble. You know, it could happen, yeah. but you don't borrow that trouble, you know? Oh, wow. Um, so adoption really took us by surprise and we didn't have any of those, you know, those sort of noble, you know, we're going to, adopt. And, you know, I mean, we just wanted a family. And, yeah. and at that point we just, we very quickly shifted gears like, okay, this isn't working. We want a family, you know, what's next. Right. And we, we were thrilled by the surprise of adoption. We were leveled by the grief of adoption and, yeah. you know, this is our life now. I don't know. Tell me that. I've never heard anybody talk about the grief of adoption. What do you mean? I am constantly aware, you know, our kids have been in our family now, Calvin is 13, Ruby's 12, Silas is almost 10. And we just still, we are faced on a regular basis with their loss. Yeah. And I like, that is just a big, you know, that's something I, I want to encourage um, adoptive parents, people who think they might adopt down the road, people who know, you know, have kids in their lives who are adopted. It's a, I read a, it was in a novel once and I don't even remember the name of the novel, but she referred to adoption as the collision of forfeit and gift. Wow. And I thought that's exactly it because I'm, I'm always aware of like these kiddos made me a mom um, and they were a beautiful surprise in my life, but it cost them dearly and they all process it differently. But I'm telling you, I mean, my boys, my two younger boys are both Korean they have tremendous cultural pride. Were they born in Korea? They both were, yeah. Oh, we, okay. We went to Korea to bring Silas home. Got it. But, you know, a lot of people would say like, well, but they don't even remember that. But I, I believe differently. I mean, I think we don't even understand, you know, the capacity of the human heart and mind. And I, you know, I, I just, I think that they do remember and I think they do grieve that loss. And right yeah. now we're wading through, you know, our, our Calvin Ruby, especially and all of them, including yeah. Silas. I mean, they're getting older and they're asking questions and they're feeling that, that loss. And, yeah. you know, there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot we can do. Like that's a really helpless place to be. And so what we've done 
from kind of the beginning and never knowing if this is quite right, but I, I wouldn't change it, is that we've just made a really open door policy like you do not ever have to choose between your love for your first family and your love for us. Right. You can love us the same. You can you can miss your birth mom and wonder who she is. Yeah. And, you know, you can cry about it and it doesn't hurt my feelings. And we've just tried to make it a really um a really open atmosphere for talking through all those questions, even though some of them might not ever have answers. Right, right. Do you know either any of their birth parents? With Ruby, we have an open adoption. And okay. so we are in pretty regular communication with her birth mom and, you know, some of her extended birth family. And that's that's a huge gift to Ruby and to us and to the boys, but it also kind of, it's like pushing on a bruise a little bit for yeah, the boys, Yeah, you know, to see... But, you know, the beautiful thing is, Annie, there are people who I've met on the Internet um, who one woman in particular um, who has and she is Korean and she has kind of paid attention to this. And so for every one of my boys birthdays, she sends them a gift and she's never met them. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, she became aware of. She got it, you know, in some, in some way she got it that Ruby gets a gift from her birth mom. My voice just, there's nobody, there's no yeah. birth family and we might never know them. Yeah. And so she, you might know her, it's Grace Cho. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's so I could just sweet. cry talking about it. I mean, she just, she loves my boys and yeah. she doesn't, she's never even met them, but this is, this is how family works in the kingdom of God. That's exactly right. I feel like, I mean, Shannon, that's what I feel like is really true about you and what you've taught me in our friendship so much is like what family can look like and how um, I'm going to use it because it's your title of your book, but how ordinary love can look yeah, in where you live and in what you do. And I just feel like you, how, what made you do that? What made you love your neighborhood and what made you live where you live and go to your church that you go to? Like you live close enough. You could, you live in, close to some big churches that, that are really well known yeah. and you could live in a city that's bigger than where you live and you live ordinary. Yeah. I, I, yeah, we do. I don't true. mean that I don't live ordinary or that people who right. live in big cities don't, but y'all have like made this choice. Yeah. You know, I think in some ways, I don't feel like we can really take credit for any of these decisions. I think uh, and a lot of people would say this, you know, when we went through a lot of our transition, we've been in Goshen now for six years, but yeah. you know, so, so go back eight years ago and when, when everything was changing, you know, it wasn't written yet, but we listened to the sermon series that became the book radical by David Platt. Okay. <laughs> You're like, Oh, I'm like, it. that's now I get it. Here's what happened. That, no. right. And I'm that's always, when people I are like, I read people. seven by Jen Hatmaker. Right. I'm like, Oh, sure, sure, sure. Right. Now I get it. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think, interrupted for me by Jen Hatmaker yeah. was another one. Like I, I, we read radical and it was like, you know, the, like our entire paradigm just split apart. Really? Tell me again where y'all were living at the time. Sorry. We were living on our farm. Okay. So we were living, I mean, it was what I, that's where I started my old school blog yep. flower, flower patch farm girl. That's right. I mean, I was living like, this is it. When we bought that farm, it was like, we have arrived. Yes. You know, we had, I these... remember I loved the farm. Oh, everybody loved the farm. What's not to love. It was beautiful. It was back this long gravel lane. We had six acres and a nearby farmer asked us if he could put his horses in our pastures. Like we didn't even have to feed them. 
but we got to look at them all day. Like it was like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, we had these lucrative jobs and, you know, we're doing the Dave Ramsey thing and we're going to church and we're paying our tithe. And, you know, we've got these beautiful babies who were such a surprise to us. And I mean, we just believed all the way in our bones that, that we were doing it right. You know, that the point of our life was to live as safe and comfortable and peaceful as possible. And that that's the life that we were to give our children and we were doing it. And so, you know, life was good. And then we read radical and, you know, read that at your own peril, I guess, because it, yeah, it, that's right. <laughs> Risk. It was immediate. I mean, we were just like, you know, I was in Awana. I had been a Bible quizzer. Yeah. You know, I did all the things and all of a sudden I'm, I'm listening to this guy say, really, <laughs> you know, care for the poor and it's everywhere through the gospel you know stand with the oppressed it's everywhere this is the life in the words of jesus and i'm feeling kind of smug like you know particularly the gospels in the bible like good grief we've read them hundreds of times we you know i i kind of i can kind of tend towards pride Mm. um big shocker there but you know i i felt kind of like i knew it you know like i already knew it And so to all of a sudden be faced with this, you know, to have our eyes open to this just really big segment, really the crux of the gospel that we were just missing, it was rattling. So y'all are both reading it at the same time and kind of going like, hey, we might need to talk about this. Yeah, we were listening to it. We would like put, we only had Calvin and Ruby at the time. We'd put them to bed. They went to bed early. And then we would sit there and listen to this sermon series, we were like, who is this guy? We've never heard of him. And I just remember kind of, you know, staggering into bed, like, and I kept telling Corey during that time, I think God wants us to sell our, to sell this house. Like, that's the only thing I could think of to do. And, you know, I wanted to do something. Yeah. I just, I didn't know why I didn't know what we, I wanted somebody to tell me what to do. Right. And every time Corey would say, no, you know, everything's fine settle down. It's it's all good. And then we went to Korea and brought Silas home in the midst of that. And then a month later, I lost my job because of the administrations had shifted. And then a month after that, Corey lost his job. And so we were like, okay, what's happening? Yeah. And so eventually one of those times that I said, I think we're supposed to sell the farm. I remember we were laying in bed and Corey said, I think you're right. And I was so mad at him right. for saying that. I mean, I was like, you have missed your line. That right. is not the answer you're supposed to give me. Right, right. And at the point that, you know, that you're both kind of on the same page, it's like, what else are you going to do? But the interesting thing is, you know, we did put our farm on the market and it took 18 months to sell. Yeah. It was just a long journey. And so every step of the way, we were And did just, you know you were where you were going after that? No, we had no clue. Like, did you know, okay, we're going to go to Goshen and... No. And okay. and I was kind of doing crazy. the thing. I was like, you know, it took forever for the, for the house to sell, which was weird. I thought that was like poor planning on God's part because yeah. he could have really like, you know, I was like, wanted him to show off. And, and I really wanted him to prove to all of the naysayers that we were right. Because a lot of people were feeling like we had this wrong. There's no way God would, would want us to do this. You know, it was really shook people up. Yeah. And so during that, during those 18 months, I was, I was kind of, because I was still very much, you know, holding tightly to whatever control I still thought I had and saying things like, okay, we'll sell this house, but we're going to move 
to a different house, you know, one mile up the street in uh-huh. town, uh-huh. in this tiny little town that's, you know, and then as time would go on, I would be like, well, maybe I'll go here. Well, okay, fine. Maybe I'll go here. And God was just kind of, he was transforming our hearts and just getting us ready for where we ultimately needed to be, which was in this very ordinary, low income, um, kind of shabby neighborhood on the wrong side of the tracks in a nearby city. And this is this is our home now. We've been here for six years. I'm not exaggerating, Shannon. This isn't because we're on the podcast. I don't know anyone else who lives in their neighborhood the way you live in your neighborhood. I mean, like you, those are your people. And there are more are people every day. Really? I mean, it sounds so, you know, normal and just you don't even have to say that, but it's like, I'm just so taken by how slow the work of God can be yeah. and how slow the work of God in my own heart can be, how slow growth can be. You know, it just, it, we've been here for six years, which is longer than Corey and I together have been anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it, And in some ways it feels like just a minute that we've been here. And then in other ways, I look at you know, neighbors that we've had from the beginning, we have a lot of transient, you know, a lot of movement in our neighborhood because it's mostly rentals. And so people come and go. Um, But some people have been here since the beginning and we're just now in our sixth year really coming to a more meaningful um, relationship with them. And it just takes time. That is incredible. Okay. Will you tell, I think this is amazing about the I don't even know how to start, how far to back up the story. So you're going to have to tell me, but I want you to tell about the house, the jailhouse. Okay. But back up and you may even have to like that Corey works in a jail. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I know it, it does get tricky. The backstory is fair, fairly layered. It's just so beautiful. Well, yeah, I think so too. And all of the backstory really is in my first book, Falling Free. So anybody that like the places that I'm kind of missing things, like it's yes. all in there. It's all in there. That's true. That's true. It's there. So but it, it's, yeah, there's a lot. There are a lot of pieces to the puzzle. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that Robert was arrested, you know, years ago at this point. And that's a whole other conversation that we could spin off into. But um, when we visited Robert in jail, that was for me and for Corey, our first time being in a jail of any kind. Really? And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I just, it was it was scary. It was exciting. I pictured it like how it is on the, on TV and I was wrong and you know, (laughs) it was just new. It was new. Um, and it became, it became a part of our life and, and, you know, his girlfriend at the time was in jail. So I started visiting her and, you know, I, I found myself compelled towards people who were in jail and I found my, my heart really with them and wanting to be near them and, you know, all these things, what we, we, what we could never have imagined is that a year or two later, Corey would, would become the full-time chaplain of that exact same jail. And so that was just like, just, you know, who would have guessed? Right. Um, So he's been there now for, you know, four or five years. And what we started to notice, and I think we really kind of first noticed this with Robert is that, I mean, I, I'm going to try my best to not go into all of my angst towards the criminal justice system. Oh, because you can say, you can say your thing. I'm here. <laughs> but what we noticed was, okay, we'll use Robert as an example because he would love that I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might be a seven. Oh, is so he? You know. Yes. And Silas is for sure a seven. We can yes. connect. So yeah, he'd love that we're chatting about him, but he comes out of jail. You know, he's, he's done, he's been in jail. 
He's gone to prison. He served his time. He made good use of his time in prison because he had parents who were like really on him to like get his GED and to do some things that he could do. And he did those things. But he's he's now out of prison and nobody wants to hire him because he has a felony conviction. And it's very difficult. You know, we we surpassed that hurdle with employment. And and then when when he was ready to kind of be out on his own, he had a really hard time finding a place to live because he has a felony conviction. And so then Corey gets involved in the jail. And this is just we see it over and over and over again. Meanwhile, my neighborhood is by large part owned by a slumlord who will rent to you if you have a felony, but it will be barely livable and you will pay through your nose for it. And if you can't pay through your nose, um, I mean, most of my neighbors are paying, you know, double what we would ever consider. They're paying weekly, you know, and so this guy kind of thinks he's doing somebody a favor. Yeah. Um, And maybe in some weird way he is, I don't know, but it's, it's such a broken system. Right. Um, You know, then it it gets into almost like indentured servitude. Like, you know, you can't pay your rent. So why don't you come and work for me? But then that gets really messy. Um, So the burden within us grew that housing is a major crisis for the formerly incarcerated. And it's pretty interesting how these, you know, the seed is planted when you're not even looking. Right. And you, you know, my part of my life for the past few years has just been really in the most fundamental way, paying attention to my neighborhood, which means Mm. taking walks in it and taking pictures of it. Which y'all do. Y'all like go, y'all walk to school. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I published my first book in 2016. I went on a trip with compassion that year, but I, I will always believe the most meaningful thing I did that year was walk my kids to school every day. Really? That was the ordinary practice that changed my view of, of my neighborhood. I mean, it just, it helped me fall in love with my place more and that helped me fall in love with the people more. I mean, it just, it, it added depth yeah. to what was already happening. So, it, you know, in the midst of one of those walks, I noticed this little house for sale. And so, you know, I, I mean, I'm always, I'm a little bossy and I've got, you know, I'm an, an idea person to some extent. And so, you know, I, I let Corey in on my plan for the jail ministry. Um, and, <laughs> that was nice of you. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked out. And so a year ago we bought one year ago, the jail ministry of Elkhart County bought its first home that they would then rent to a family coming out of incarceration. Okay. And so, you know, it's right. It's a block away from where I live and we moved a family into it and they're just doing fantastically well. And so just a couple of weeks ago, again, I see another house that is for sale in my neighborhood. And, you know, we just kind of repeated the process. I started bugging Corey about it and we went along with the board for the ministry and we, we all looked at it and we made a, the jail ministry made an offer on it that day. Oh my gosh. And within, I mean, you know, then you're doing the inspection a couple of days later, then you're having carpet installed and then you're closing. I mean, the entire thing <laughs> happened within like a week. It was no. crazy because we just, we have all of these friends who are, it's like, you, I couldn't forget about this problem if I tried right. the, the issue of, of safe and clean and affordable housing for people coming, you know, people who are really 
really trying to rebuild their lives. And that's hard to do when you don't have stable living um, situations. So, yeah. So, so another family, we just get, we're still kind of in the process. I mean, they're moved in, but you know, everything's still kind of half done and we're running over when we get a spare minute and boxes are being delivered to my house because the really cool thing is I, I put something out on social media, like, okay, we've got this house and this family's going in and you know, there's nothing in the house. So people start, we put up a list on Amazon and, you know, I mean, we were just inundated with boxes. I mean, I got so tickled looking at your Instagram because it's like everyone mailed you everything. Our mailman tried to report us for fraud. No. And he, he told me about it later because we were, we were gone one day when a lot of these packages, so we were like, you know, feverishly texting other neighbors that can you please go get this stuff out of our yard. Um, But the mailman was kind of laughing about it. He's like, just so you know, like we were pretty sure something fraudulent was happening here. Oh my gosh. So much stuff was being delivered. Cause you literally just told all of us that follow you like, Hey, we need stuff in this house. And then people just started buying it. And I, I mean, we could not, you know, we were in a hurry because everything happened quickly. And so late one night I, I put everything out there and then I went to bed yeah. And we woke up the next morning and the entire list was gone. <gasps> no. But the problem is I had also like sent an email out to my email subscribers. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so we're just going to, we're just going to keep adding stuff to the list because the house needed everything. Yeah. Right. And and the furnishing and, you know, everything we put in that house is, is going to stay with the house. I mean, so I was just, I was wandering around my own house. Like, what do we have? What do people yeah. need? Yeah. And just adding it as quickly as I could. And people were buying it almost faster than I could get it posted. Wow. So, you know, the cool thing is like some people bought a set of bunk beds, like a pretty big item. Yeah. Some people bought a package of washcloths or a big jug of dish soap right. or I mean, anything you can think of. Yep. It was yep. not me. It was not Corey. It wasn't the jail ministry. It was it was our neighbors across the country. Yeah. I mean, and it was just so moving. And so my hope is in some way, this opened the eyes of people to the humanity and, you know, the dignity yeah. of people who are, have, have lived through some real stuff and are on the other side and they just, they need our support and our love. They just need us to be near them. Um, and it, it, if every person that, that so generously donated an item or bought an item, if they will now turn around and look in their own community and find that kind of that point of hurt and and be drawn towards that or compelled to that, then I just think that, I think that's the kind of stuff that, that does change our world and that brings the kingdom to earth. Hey friends, interrupting this conversation with Shannon to say thanks to our sponsor, Third Love. Hey gals, this ad is specifically for you. Third Love is an innovative and incredible bra company that uses thousands of real women's measurements to design its bras with shape and size in mind so they fit impeccably and feel even better. And Third Love actually just added 24 new sizes, making them the industry leader with a total of 70 sizes. And there's so much quality in these bras, y'all. The details make the difference from premium fabrics to expert designs. Um, you can go onto their website and take the Fit Finder quiz. It takes less than a minute and it actually really matters. And Third Love will help you identify size and shape and find the right style that fits your body. 
And it's comfortable quality. It's hands down the most comfortable bra you will ever own, ladies. I promise. It's tagless label, so there's no itching. Straps don't slip. It's ultra smooth, soft fabric. It's lightweight, super thin memory foam cups. I think you're really, really going to love them. I wouldn't tell you if I didn't. So Third Love knows that there is a perfect bra for every gal out there. So right now they're offering you guys, my friends, 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash sounds fun right now and find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash sounds fun for 15% off today. Back to my conversation with Shannon. You do not hold back on um, telling us how you really feel, which I like about you. (laughs) But I wondered your take on that, that idea of like people are so quick to rally and help you fill a house, but what are they doing in their own neighborhood? Yeah. That was literally, I was like, I wonder if Shannon is going to (laughs) say, like when it was going down online, I was like, I wonder if Shannon is going to say now, now that you've hit send, (laughs) turn around and walk out your front door and meet your neighbor. You better believe that's coming because that's, I mean, right now I'm still, we're still kind of, I've got boxes in my living room right now. Moments before we started our call, the FedEx guy pulled up and I was like, oh no, like, not now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing. Like, I think it can be, I guess I have a lot of compassion for people who like, this was a big step for them because I was her, yes, you know? And so- right. Like we all start somewhere and we have our eyes opened in ways that we would not have predicted or yeah. chosen. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think any of that is wasted, but I'm also, you know, I want to, um, I guess, warn against feeling like there, I did it. Yeah. Because I think, I think practicing our faith and, you know, loving God with our words and with our deeds, like this stuff matters, but I, if we can't bring it home, then we need to really inspect that. And I will say to you, Annie, like I love, I just, I so deeply love having an example of, you know, you're a Christian author, speaker, like you, you go places and you do these things and you write the books and you do this work, but you're, you are invested in the people's lives around you in a really deep way. Yeah. Thank you. And I don't know that I see that enough, mm. you know, like I struggle to trust, you know, what somebody's telling me if I don't in some way, if I can't see that they are like living, they're living out their faith at street level. Yeah. Like it's just so important. Yeah. So I, I mean, you've just been, you've been a, a real leader to me in a lot of those ways too. Well, that's very kind. I watch you and think that's what I want to do. I want to be like Shannon and I want to be like Corey and like love the people around me. And my sink clogged up yesterday. And it's just that, you know how home stuff is. It's just the most annoying. And when the plumber came and my, I live in a condo, so I share walls and things, you know, and I haven't in a really long time. I've lived in standalone houses for a really long time. And the plumber came and was like, oh yeah, I would, well, I can't fix this until we get access to your neighbor's condo and you talk to them because da, 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 and I hadn't met them yet. And I was like, oh, this is so frustrating that he just can't. And then it was like, I stopped and I was like, oh, this is the Lord having me meet my neighbors. Right. Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, I have, I've lived here six weeks, seven weeks. It has been long enough that I have been a hermit in, to my neighbors. Yeah. It is yeah. time. And if you want me to be extra spiritual, if I want to see revival happen in my city, 
why am I not meeting my neighbors? Yeah. Right? Like if I'm praying for God to change our city and praying for people to meet him, why am I not talking to the people that I share pipes with? Yes, but you're going to do it now. Oh, I yeah, I don't have a choice, it. Shannon. <laughs> we, even, we we started yesterday. <laughs> like that ship has sailed. Like you're going to meet them. This is happening. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So Corey and I are both introverts as are Calvin and Ruby. Yeah, I think that's so important for you to say to people. Yeah. Silas is our only extrovert around here. Um, so it's, it has taken six years of practice for me to get where I am now. And I hope that a year from now, I'm further down the road. I mean, this is work. You yeah. know, we call it building community because it requires work. We are building something together yeah. and we're going to be tired and we're going to be crabby and we're going to, you know, get our wires crossed and we're going to hermit sometimes. I mean, I can hermit like a boss. Yeah. That's that's my, my, that is my natural impulse. So, so when this became my life, I very much thought that like God got his signals mixed up and like, you know, sent the wrong message to the wrong woman because it, I mean, nothing about this really comes naturally to me. Right. But when people ask me like, okay, so, but what do you do? One of my only good ideas is you go to your neighbor that you want to meet or that you want to just get to know better and you ask them for help. And that's exactly what you're doing. Really, You need their help right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it by myself. Yeah. <laughs> so think about the difference in the posture between going to somebody to help them. Yeah. Who you don't know well versus going to someone and needing their help. Because we see this all the time, particularly with, you know, our friends coming out of jail or who have survived, you know, generational poverty or they're struggling through addiction. I mean, they, it's pretty meaningful to all of us to be trusted yeah. with the work of just basic help. Like that's something that not everybody has access to in the same way. And so I just think it's awesome that your plumber needs their I know. I knew it. I said to the Lord, I was like, well, here we go. Like, this has got to be you. And honestly, Shannon, and you'll uh, appreciate this too, but I didn't think about the neighbor thing when I moved in, when I bought a condo. I thought about a lot of other reasons why that was the right spot for me. And it has done, even sharing walls, even sharing hallways makes me unable to be as selfish as I was when I was in a standalone house. Yep. Like I'm already having to think about other people in a different way, think about my neighbors in a different way. And now I have to speak to them. Right. 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 And so it just feels like the Lord's like, yeah, I knew what I was doing. I knew you needed to not have this standalone house with a yard that kept you from anybody touching you. Yes. You know? Yes. So yeah, he knew. Imagine, just imagine when when sorrow or suffering or trouble strikes you because it will. I mean, that's what I'm always like, it's just, it's, it's not if it's when, like when trouble comes my way, imagine just knowing, like, it doesn't mean that you have to go on vacations with your neighbors in your condo, but just imagine knowing that they were there and they were going to have your back. Like they're right there. Right. That's just the way, right. that's just the way that I want right. to live. Yeah. Same. Is that why you wrote the ministry of ordinary places? Yeah. I mean, I think I wrote it because number one, I wanted, I wanted people to understand that this is, this is something that each of us can do and it might look a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you know, with my first book, I talked a lot about like all of the things that happened yeah. in our life and it, and it might have looked like a lot of big things and, you know, 
so after we moved here, I mean, we just found ourselves within a couple of years or so, like this was just our new normal now. Mm. You know, we weren't scared because honestly, we're like, we're really embarrassed to say this. So when I'm embarrassed about something, I try to say it a lot because it's humbling for me. You're so good. Um, but I was, I was scared. We were nervous about moving here. We had a lot of people reminding us of the things that we should be scared and nervous about, but it was mm. just very different. It was unlike, I mean, you know, to be in proximity with people who just look and live and believe and think and vote differently than anything yeah. I had ever seen. Like yeah. this was a major game changer for me. And it, and it changed almost everything about the way we see the world. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just such a big fan of, you know, I know that our contexts are all different and I know that our communities are different, but you know, I also know that this is a pretty intense time globally and nationally. Like there's a lot of, you know, anxiety in the air and there's a lot of conflict and, you know, the problems feel big and complicated. And so whenever I found myself kind of up, you know, feeling like a nervous Nelly up here in the clouds, the solution was every single time to just get low to the ground, like to look at street level across my own community. Like, what can I do right now to make my community um, a bit brighter or to feel more connected to my community? And, and that's the heart of this book. Like, instead of getting stuck up here where we can't fix anything, we can't solve anything, what if we each just turn to our neighbor and, and built a foundation of belonging, you know, built a foundation of compassion with each other and learn to really love each other and to really be loved by each other. And, you know, it's, I say this and it sounds a little silly, but I think making the world better for one person makes the world better. So oh, if, we, so if we good. all did that, if we all did that, like it's, those are the things, those are the really small, ordinary, everyday things that, that help get our heads where they need to be and get our, set our hearts where they need to be. Yes. Did you come up with that? Making the world better for one person makes the world better. I mean, I think, I don't know. Girl, that is so good. <laughs> I just think it's true. I, I just think, think you're it's right. so basic. It's so basic. So I don't want people to get caught up in, you know, being the chaplain of a jail or whatever yeah. the case may be. I mean, you know, the, the biggest part of my ministry, and I have a story that I can tell you a short okay, story. Tell it. Hey girl, we got the time. They're on their treadmills. They're out in there. I mean, we're happy. Yes. Yeah. I was just cooking in my kitchen a minute ago, listening to podcasts. That's what we do. Yep. So yeah, I would say the biggest, like the, the most significant thing I do in my ministry in this ordinary place, because I think if we are not living, you know, with our roots constantly growing into the soil, like that is the ministry that we're called to, and we're yep. all called to it. If our ministry cannot be like in those everyday mundane details, then we're, we're just missing something. We need to dig into that. Uh -huh. The thing that I do more than anything is give people rides. And I was just talking to somebody this morning and I said the same thing. Like the biggest thing I do is give people rides because a lot of my neighbors don't have, they don't drive for a lot of different reasons, uh -huh. many reasons. So I said that this morning and, and it's true. And I, you know, my, my calendar is kind of wonky today and, you know, I'm making dinner for somebody. And of course I go into like quick, you know, start putting dinner together and I realize I am missing two key ingredients. And so I'm looking at my watch, like, okay, I have just enough time to run to Kroger up the street and grab what I need and then get back. Your brand new Kroger, by the way, my brand new Kroger. <laughs> Thank you for appreciating that with me. 
I loved every minute of it. I absolutely loved every minute of it. It's the best. Yeah. So yes, I did walk into the, and and I, Annie, I mean, I was like, every time I go in there, I'm just overjoyed. Um, And so I grabbed the things that I needed and, but I'm in a hurry, right? Like I'm on, this is time sensitive. So I'm walking out of the, like, you know, past the cashiers to leave the store and there stands a dear friend of ours. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, what do you do? You know, what are you doing here? And I'll, I'll say it's actually the family that just moved into the second jail ministry. House. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's them. And so he's standing there. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, you know, we just had to get a few things. And it crossed my mind. Like, how did they get here? Like, because he had bags of groceries and they don't drive and it's not far, but you know, they've got a newborn baby, yeah. but did I say to them, can I give you a ride? I didn't. And it crossed my mind and I didn't say it. And so he says to me, Hey, we wondered if you could give us a ride back home right away. I said, yes, but I also was like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I've got somewhere I got to be and I'm doing, you know, I say those things and in my mind, like, I'm just being like completely honest I love in this. my mind. I'm like, I don't have time for this, Yeah. but, but I also know, like, I'm not going to make them walk home with this infant and all these groceries in right. 90 degree heat when I'm going in that same direction. So, I mean, we got in the car, it wasn't. They, they hopped in the van, we got the baby and got the groceries in. And then we had the equivalent of maybe one mile of a drive and they rocked my world profoundly sideways. Like the conversation I had with them in those maybe three or four minutes. I mean, it was, it was the Holy spirit alive in my janky minivan. I mean, it was the most beautiful. And that is what happens almost every single time. I mean, they're talking to me about, you know, they had just gone to have lunch at basically kind of like a soup kitchen in our town. Yeah. And they're talking about another guy, you know, a guy that I kind of know, but they know him better. And, and you, you know, they're talking to me about what he's going through and, but they're saying things like, you know, they're very honest that they are both at like a year sober and it's a huge deal, huge deal. But they know where this guy is. And so they're both saying this stuff to me like, you know, we know what it's like. We remember. And and she said, you know, I went, I just went to him and, you know, I just wanted to talk to him. And, you know, I just wanted to know if he was okay. And I'm just flooded with this feeling of like, I don't even think you quite get what what this ministry in their ordinary place is. And so, you know, they finally stopped talking for a minute. And I was like, you guys. This is God's presence alive in you right now. Like you can minister to people struggling through addiction in a way I will never be able to. Yeah, that's right. And they were both like, I mean, the husband was like, oh my gosh, I've got the chills. And he said to her, he said, babe, this might be, maybe this is the ministry God has for us. Like there's just, you know, all this is happening in real time. And I, I was so close to missing out on it. And it was like, it was right in your grocery store. It was in my grocery store. And I was worried about like, you know, is this going to cost me an extra five minutes of my day? You know, like there was plenty of time. The chicken is, is ready to go into the oven and we're here talking right now and it's fine. And it's it's just me, you know, you can always cancel on me or push me. (laughs) (laughs) But that's where I'm like, like, I just have to learn to really, you know, part of my work as a neighbor is to just really learn to hear that. Yes. What is it? Okay. So I was, I didn't realize it was three. So I was just walked through the door. I love it. He just got ice out of the ice maker. Oh, I love it. It's totally great. This is real okay. life. 
This is this is exactly why we're here. The Enneagram Seven has walked into the room. I so. love it. I love it so much. Yeah, you got you it, and you got Sarah it. Bessie. Sarah Bessie has an Enneagram Seven kid too, and y'all both call say things to me and call and say, "What does this mean?" And what is <laughs> what's oh, happening? <laughs> we need to have a whole separate side conversation sometime because we just kind of figured out within the past week that he is for sure a seven. And yeah. I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out, but I know you are. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, you'll be getting these yeah. questions. I got you, girl. Now. Hey, so your kids are home for school. So I want you to get to be with your people, but <laughs> tell me, let me ask you one more question. And then I'll ask you our last very final, final question. Perfect. So someone orders your book today. It comes out October 9th, so they'll get it. But what's like the first thing you would say, because buying a house for a neighbor and having everybody on Instagram fill it, feels like a really far step from where I am. <laughs> uh-huh. So for those of us who are like, okay, I hear Shannon that like m- doing ministry in my community already doesn't necessarily mean going to the soup kitchen, though it does. And it doesn't necessarily mean buying a house, though it could. What does it mean? The first thing I would say is, you know, for me, it started with with praying. And this is back in the farmhouse, but like starting to pray, let me see the people around me the way you see them. Mm. That is a prayer that I think God is really eager to answer. And then it's the most basic thing, but go into your community, you know, walk in your place, wherever it is, like take walks. I think our neighbor is anybody whose paths regularly intersect with ours. So I use a really wide definition of neighbor. I love it. But I think, you know, I don't, I'm not into this idea of there's certainly value in um, spending time with people who, who we share things in common with like life stage or, you know, whatever. I'm more interested in, I'm looking outside of my living room window, stand in your, in the smack dab of your community and look around you. And there are your people Mm. instead of constantly like trying to sort of sequester ourselves into these like-minded groups. Yeah. I have learned this far more by spending time with people who are, are different than me in some ways and really similar to me in ways that I wouldn't have, have thought. Um, but what if we just made our neighbors, our people, like, what would that really look like instead of driving across town to meet with a small group or, you know, to spend time with people who our Venn diagrams have a lot of overlap. Mm. What if we just decided to really belong to the people that, that are physically close to us? Yeah. And, and from there, we just pay attention. I mean, we pay attention to our place. We, we start noticing problems that come up. We start noticing the loneliness of the people around us. And we remember when we have felt it. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, committing. Like, this is until I'm told to go somewhere else, I am committing to this place mm. and to these people. And we're going to gather and eat whenever we can. I mean, we're just, you know, there are people in my life right now who... It took years of waving and smiling before we had that first conversation. And then it took another year before we, you know, spent time in each other's homes. I mean, it's just right. slow work. And right. I think we can give ourselves permission to that, you know, permission to just stick around for the long haul with that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love the idea of asking someone for help. <laughs> yep. You're not here to save your neighborhood. You're here to be a part of it. So you will help, but they will help too. Yeah. I mean, it it levels the playing field because I don't think, you know, I think a lot of us as Christians and, you know, the way we've been raised and the ways that we've kind of learned to see evangelism, you know, is, is this kind of aggressive, we have something that you need. Uh So to flip that script onto, 
um, you know, we're, we're just, we're just here with you. Uh I mean, that's how Jesus lived his life. He just lived, he lived it with the people who were around him. He was doing ordinary things with them. A lot of the time they were, you know, hanging out, having dinner and going fishing. And, you know, this is just, this is what they were doing. And I think it's easy to lose to lose our focus on, he was showing us what to do, you know, like yeah, we might not be going, hopping in a boat and going fishing. Yep. um, But what's the equivalent in our life right now? Right. Gosh, that's good. Okay. You're right. (laughs) Good thing my pipes backed up. (laughs) I cannot. I'm so glad your pipes backed up. I'm so sorry. I know. I am too. Like they terrify me. They terrify me. It's expensive. It's an expensive reason to meet my neighbors. But (laughs) I'm like, if I'm going to spend time praying the things I'm praying for our city, then I better start living like those prayers have something to do with me too. You know? Yep. So. Um, okay. So the last question, then I'll go let you be with your people who are playing all the instruments and creating. I mean, <laughs> the fact that they made a house, this is why everyone just needs to follow you on Instagram because they made a house out of cardboard boxes. Your daughter made a violin out of cardboard. Oh yeah. You saw the violin. 3D. And they were like, we're all excited about this house and like getting the stuff for the house. They're just excited for the boxes. I believe it. Immediately. They're like, can we keep all the boxes? I'm like, well, I don't think I don't think all the boxes will fit into our house, but they sure did haul most of them down there and we're going to roll with it for a little while. I love it. I think you should. I just adore it. Okay. Here's your very last question. Uh, it's the one we always end in. So, you know, it's coming is that because the show's called that sounds fun. What sounds fun to you? What do you guys do for fun as well? The thing that sounds fun to me is to sit on my back patio when it's like the ideal temperature. So for me, that would be like, you know, I don't know, 85 degrees for you, low eighties. Well, I'm thinking kind of evening, (laughs) like I'd like my little, my little lights to be on. So maybe it's kind of dusky. Okay. And I want to be on, on that patio with some of my neighbors who immediately and sometimes aggressively like jump into the deep end of conversation. Um, We're eating some delicious food. And, you know, hopefully chips and salsa or something of the equivalent, because that's my favorite. Yep. But we've had the, we've had the privilege of, of hosting some of those evenings and of being hosted on other people's patios. And there's just nothing, there is nothing more meaningful than, than sitting around, you know, and everybody's staying too late and you know, it's getting late, but nobody, you know, you don't want the party to break up and maybe the kids are off doing who knows what. And right. I mean, and, and it's just getting later and the conversation is getting deeper and you're getting to know people. I mean, I think you'll get this, but when part of life is lived online, it's a really beautiful thing. And I, I don't begrudge it at all. Right. I have met some of my favorite people online. Right. Same. I, we wouldn't be friends without the internet. Exactly. Exactly. It's so, and it's, I'm so grateful. But there is something that is just a richer and truer, maybe not even richer and true, but just a different kind of rich and a different kind of true of of sitting with people who don't necessarily care about what I'm doing online. For one thing, they might not even know necessarily. Yes. And to just be loved by them, to feel like yeah. every time I sit, you know, when we we this past year, we've had the real honor of of getting to know some, some new people in our community and just really building those relationships and friendships. And I'm always having this feeling of like, they're just choosing to hang out with us. Like they like being with us. It's so special. I told one of my neighbors that stopped by a couple of days ago, like, I don't know. And she's somebody that 
you know, we're newer getting to know them, but they've sat on our patio. And I said, you know, I feel like it might be asking a little too much, but I would like everyone to sign in blood that they are never moving away. Like, is that too much to ask? Because my personality is like going 30 years in the future. Yes. What's your Enneagram? Remind me what your Enneagram is. Four? I'm an eight. An eight. That's why I'm always telling people when you said like, you're not shy about your. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm an eight. So. Okay. Sorry. So keep going. So you're, you told them they had to sign in blood that they would never leave. Yeah. See, that's like the controlling aspect of me, right? Like, could we just go ahead and, and sign the contract now? Nobody's allowed to move away. We're going to, I just, I love the idea. And maybe because I, you know, Corey is 40, I'm 42. So we're tipping into like that midlife situation where you start to realize, you know, the brevity of life, but also like we still have so many good years in us and we're having, I'm having a lot of those thoughts, but I'm thinking like, how amazing. I mean, some of our friends are like, they are real, they are real work for justice people. Like they are brilliant and they want to change the world. And I just feel this, this feeling of like, I just want to change it with you. Like God is good all around us. He's already doing the good thing. His goodness is everywhere. And we get to be invited into that. And if we get to do it together with people we love while we're eating chips and salsa on the patio, right? that sounds fun. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. You're you're just my favorite. Well, Thank you for doing this. You're making me better at being an Annie. That is for sure. <laughs> I am grateful. I loved it. Oh, friends, isn't she just the best? I know. I know. I know you love her. I love her. You already loved her. So make sure you go ahead and pre-order her new book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places. It comes out on October 9th. So you can go ahead and order it now and it'll just show up at you when you're ready for it. So go ahead and pre-order that. And her other book, Falling Free, is also one of my very, very favorites. So make sure you grab that. Hey, just a reminder that next week, my book, Remember God, also comes out. It is a fall of book releases. If you haven't gotten to grab the book yet, go ahead and do that because we got an additional 1,000 free audiobooks from Christian Audio, which I'm so, so thankful for. So you can pre-order it from anywhere. I love Barnes & Noble, my local bookstore. Amazon's fine too, wherever you want to. And then go to AnnieFDowns.com, plug in your information where it says redeem my pre-order and we will give you the audiobook for free so you can get that a week before the book comes out we're going to talk plenty about remember god next week but i just wanted to remind you about that before we run out of that last uh, thousand audiobook codes hey if there's anything else i can do for you i'm embarrassingly easy to find any f downs all over the place f is for friendship and loving your neighbors like our friend shannon does so if there's anything i can do for you just holler at me there instagram twitter facebook all the places and make sure you follow shannon all over the place as well and tell her thanks for being on the show and grab her book. I hope you have a great week. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you. And I will see you on Thursday with a show I'm so stoked about. We're going to talk soccer with one of my favorite dudes, Taylor Twelman. We'll see you Thursday.